0: The first reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, marks of the true Christian: "Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thanks be to God. Amen. The
1: Gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 21. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life. For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thanks be to God.
2: Last weekend, um, a group of us from St. Paul's went to the Greenbelt Festival. Now, I'm not really a festival goer. The last time I was at something like a festival was in 1969, when, (laughs) when I was at university and we sat in the grounds of the campus and listened to music from Woodstock or somewhere, I can't remember. But it was a long time ago. However, I was persuaded to go on the grounds that I could stay in a hotel and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to camp. So off we set. And we had three days of the most wonderful weather last weekend, which was just as well, because I don't think... My, uh, my temper would have stood very much of wallowing about in, in mud. I'm just not that sort of person. But it was, it was wonderful. And that's where Boughton House is, where I got the, magnet, the fridge magnet of the Earl of Southampton's cat. However, the thing that actually struck me about Greenbelt was the lack of litter. There were thousands of people on this site for three and a half days There were food stalls. There were tents where you went to talks. There there was a big tent where there was a very loud rock band thing going on, and there were people all over the place. But do you know, this is not not untrue. There wasn't, that I could see, a single scrap of litter. Now that is quite remarkable. And in fact, in the program which we were given, it said that when they came to clean up from the festival last year, it took them only about two hours to just dismantle everything because there wasn't any litter that needed to be collected. And I thought to myself, well, here is an example of people. The theme of the festival was the common good. And obviously, environmental issues were part of it. That here were people who were actually living out what they believed about looking after the environment. It actually, to me, reinforced the idea that actions speak louder than words, that really actions can speak, can't they, even more strongly sometimes than words. Now, if we thought about this morning's epistle that we heard read to us, you might say to yourself, well, here is a complete manifesto in words of the Christian life. All that beautiful stuff about persevering, having patience, having hope, um, exercising hospitality, uh, welcoming strangers, not rewarding evil for evil. It's just such a wonderful vision of how life could be. The words are very, very powerful. And it not only tells us how we as a Christian community should try and live, but of course, it is also very pertinent about how we relate to those who are not within our community, that we don't treat people as outsiders, that we extend hospitality to everyone, and that we don't take vengeance. So then I ask myself, why do we need the gospel reading? If we've got all that information about what it is to live a Christian life, all that ethical information, which is all good, sound stuff that I'm sure we would all agree with and hope to live up to, if we've got that, why do we need the gospel reading? So you see, I have a lot of sympathy with Peter. Why do we need to hear about the cross? If we've got the ethics, why do we need to hear about the cross? Well, then something else occurred to me. After Greenbelt, I went with a friend to Bletchley Park, which I'd been wanting to see for quite a long time. And there we went to see all the um, exhibitions about the codebreakers in World War II and these reconstructions of these great machines uh, and I really did try to understand when the man explained how all these wheels these cogs turn, and they make other cogs turn and that and then there was a thing on the wall that said, uh, "Put in a code, put in some letters, put in a message, and this computer will now this was just a computer you know children were playing with it. this computer will now um, will translate your your message into code. Well, do you know the girl in front of me who was I think probably about eight. Manage this perfectly well. But could I do it? No, I couldn't. And I thought to myself, this is really, really fascinating. Every single one of these cogs is in the big machines is absolutely necessary. If you're going to decode the messages, all the cogs are necessary. And then I began to think that there must be something that we need to decode about this morning's gospel that we really do need to hear. And I was interested to find that one of the ways in which the Bletchley Park people broke the codes was to try and find words that kept cropping up and seeing how the numbers applied to them. I mean, I'm sure it's much more complicated than that, but that's what I understood it to say. So I looked in this morning's Gospel, and I found that there is one word that keeps cropping up, that would therefore appear to be the code that we need to crack if we're really going to understand this morning's gospel. And that word is life, because it's mentioned four times in two verses. And the actual meaning of this, so I understand, from the original Greek word, is that it means what is essentially human? Life, what is essentially human? And Jesus is saying to us, if we want to gain this characteristic of being essentially human, if we really want to be essentially human, we've somehow got to lose it in order to gain it. Now, what does that mean? I don't think it means, by denying yourself, that you have to wallow around a bit like Uriah Heep and actually keep on and on and on about how sorry you are for being you and all that sort of thing. I don't think it actually means that. Neither do I think it means that within the bounds of acting responsibly, we can't enjoy the resources that we have been given. So I don't think that losing our life means that we either have to be miserable or we have to make ourselves miserable. But I do think it does mean something really important. You see, All these qualities that we heard about in the epistle are to do with the common good. They're not just to do with our good, they're to do with the common good. So surely this idea of being essentially human and gaining our lives in Christian terms is about thinking of ourselves as part of something which is to do with the common good. So how is this going to work then? Well, if you look in the epistle, one of the things it talks about is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So surely one of the things that we need to think about if we want to think about being essentially human for the common good is actually empathy. This idea that we try and see where other people are coming from. And I was watching a TV program this week very interesting program, about a lady who was trying to work out what is the root of of someone who exhibits a psychopathic character. Um, And she interviewed quite a few people who were in prison in America. I was interested to find out from the program that she wasn't allowed to interview Uh, people in English prisons. Uh, There must be a reason for that. Perhaps it's to do with privacy and self-respect. I don't know. But these prisoners in in America were quite willing to talk. And the thing that came across with these prisoners, all of whom had committed some very terrible offences against other people, the thing that she was trying to get at was that they didn't appear to have any empathy. They couldn't understand other people's fear, that was one thing, and they couldn't understand other people's suffering. And it was partly because their own childhoods had been such that they had not been brought up in such a way, uh, or had no opportunities, I think, to learn this. Now, this is not an excuse, but it is, it is a reason, isn't it, for why people might turn out to have no empathy and I was thinking to myself that, after all, I feel that I have empathy with Peter because I actually find the gospel to be a bit of a tag-on to the epistle. What I find so difficult, actually, is to have empathy with Jesus. Because why, why does he need to do this? Why does he actually need to antagonize people to such an extent that instead of going on, going around preaching this wonderful message, he actually gets himself put to death. Ah, well, you will say, that's to do with the resurrection. And I would say to you, well, that's another code that we need to think about how we're going to crack it. But that is another sermon, isn't it? Um, So I think what I'm trying to say is that somewhere in here, We have to think of Jesus speaking to his own people in his own time in words like angels and glory and coming judgment that somehow don't resonate exactly with us. But we have to try and understand why it was so important for him to actually go the whole way towards death, the whole way into persecution. Well, Obviously, the death on the cross showed that Jesus forgave his enemies, that he didn't reward evil for evil. So that is a great example of that actually happening. Obviously, Jesus going to the cross shows us that love can be stronger than anything else. And perhaps part of the code of the resurrection is that whatever you do to love, it is able to continue. There is nothing that can actually stop it. But what about us? What are we going to do? Our religious systems, our economic systems, our political systems, our social systems, all seem to be based on the premise that instead of having empathy with other people, we're actually in competition with them. You know, these people are out and we are in. Or these people have the wrong ideas and we have the right ideas. Or we are entitled to the wealth that we've got uh, and these people aren't. Everything seems to be based on competition. Nothing seems to be actually based on the idea of empathy. And for me, putting the gospel with the epistle shows me that things have to change. You may say, well, that's all very well. But if we all go out living the way the epistle says, and if we all believe that the the key to cracking the code of Jesus on the cross is that love actually can never be defeated, we can go on doing that just like Christians have for years. But is it going to solve the problems of the world today? What about the nuclear issue? What about violence and aggression? What about poverty? Why do these things continue? Why Why does living the Christian life not actually bring these things to an end? And I think it's because we have to to understand that what we have to offer people is hope. We can't actually offer people that things will suddenly turn right because that doesn't appear to be going to happen, does it? But don't you think it's really important that people gather together here, as they are in churches all over the country today, Reading these lectionary readings, reading the epistle, reading the gospel, because we just have to go on doing this, because the thing that we have to offer people is hope. At the end of this program about these folk in prison, there was a man in America who is running a youth um, sort of hostel, well, it's a secure hostel, for young people who are deemed to be at risk of turning into violent criminals. And the way that he is trying to actually change their mindset, strangely enough, really, in Christian terms, I think, is by offering them a reward. He's trying to sort of modify their behavior by every time they do show empathy to other people, and every time they show that they can understand other people, they actually get a privilege. Now, you may say, is that ultimately going to change anybody Surely, if you really want to change people, you have to go a bit deeper than just offering them rewards. But he is quite confident and has been running this for 30 years. He is quite confident that the young people who he eventually sends out will not fall into a life of violent crime because in some way he has modified their behavior. And don't you think it's by coming here this morning... And it's by other people listening as we are to the epistle and the gospel that we can hope to keep our behavior on the right track. Now, this is all very muddled, and I'm not sure I've really answered my question about if we have the epistle, why do we need the gospel? How do we actually crack the code of the gospel of Jesus going to the cross What has the code of the resurrection got to say about cracking all this? So I feel this is all very unsatisfactory. But I somehow still do believe how important it is that we here this morning are listening to a vision of the kingdom, however hard it may be to live it out, and that people should go on doing this, and that we have to offer to people the hope, perhaps not the certainty. Perhaps not, I don't know, but the hope that things can be different.